0: Good morning again. Continuing on in the Book of Acts, so today, as George just read, we're in Acts chapter nine. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, uh, whether it's your phone or a pew Bible that you have, follow along in Acts chapter nine. This is just as good as it gets this morning. You know, I've, I've said a couple of times, some weeks you just try to get out of the way and let God speak through His own His own words and let the preacher not mess it up. And that's the prayer again today. So. Lord, uh, would you teach us by your word this morning, uh, show us again something fresh from this famous story, this famous encounter that you had with Saul, who becomes Paul. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the front of your bulletin today, you'll notice it's a quote from C.S. Lewis that says, One road leads home, and a thousand roads lead into the wilderness. One road leads home, and a thousand lead into the wilderness. Uh, if you've done any hiking or driving around, you'll, you'll know that's true. Uh, one road leads home, and a lot of ways can get you in trouble really fast. Uh, I was reading a, an article this week, this week or last week, I think it's dated July the 2nd, but it's out of Somerville, Massachusetts, so just our neighbors down the street, and the title of the article is, quote, Long Overdue Books Returned to Massachusetts Library, I don't know if you've read this story, but I think this is a funny story. Here's how it starts A Massachusetts man has returned long overdue books that were checked out in the 1920s and 30s to the Somerville Public Library. Bob Alvarez, age 63, found the books in the basement of his Methuen home in a wooden box, the Boston Globe reported. The books were stored in a wooden box in the attic of the family's Somerville home until it was sold in 2010. Alvarez moved the box and other items into his basement and never examined the contents until June. The books originally belonged to his late aunt, Helen Godemus, who died in 1937 at the age of 16 from the flu. She left behind 39 books. Some of them were from the Somerville schools, some from the library, and others were apparently from his aunt's personal collection. The oldest books had copyrights from the 19th century. I love this part. When he found the books, Alvarez contacted the library saying, quote, I've got some overdue books. Am I talking to the right people? Can you imagine what they're thinking on the other end? Well, when did you check them out? Oh, in the 20s. (laughs) Alvarez will not be charged late fees as the library stopped charging the fees as of July 1st. He waited almost 100 years to return the books and he made it by five days to avoid the late overdue fees. Can you believe that? That's my favorite part of the whole story. They stopped charging late fees as of July 1st. Some of the return books are currently on display at the West Branch of the library with a note explaining how the books made their way back decades after they were checked out. These books were long away, far away from their original home and they made their way back even though it took a long time to get there. This morning, we're going to be talking about the way. The way. I've said it a couple times in the service already. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We read a passage from the Psalms earlier that says, teach us your way. And today, as we look at the story of God's encounter with Saul on the road to Damascus, a famous story, um, we learn a lot about the way. And so we'll get into that in just a moment. But Ephesians 2.13 says... But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The story of every single one of us who are Christians and who have believed in him is the story of someone who was once far away who has now been brought near. That's the story all of us share in common. We were all once far away, and now in Christ we've been brought near. And so the title of today's sermon is "The Church Never Too Far, Never Too Far." And may I I pray this will be an encouragement to each of us this morning, uh, because like we prayed this morning, each of us have our own brokenness, our own sins, our own things that we struggle with, even after become after becoming Christians. Um, But may we may we never forget that God is the one who extravagantly pursues His people relentlessly. We are never too far gone. And neither is anybody outside of this church. You may know some people, you're saying, that person is so far gone. They'll never come to know Jesus, because look at their life. They're just, they're too far gone. But may we never trick ourselves into that kind of thinking, because our God is not a God who gives up on people. He's a God who relentlessly, extravagantly, lovingly pursues people. And he uses his church to do that work, too. So with that introduction, this morning, uh, Acts chapter 9 is what we're going to get into. Today, primarily, we're going to be looking at the ever-extending, always-reaching, never-far-away, gracious, compassionate God who pursues humanity. He always finds the diamonds in the rough from our perspective and turns them into uh, new people. And Saul of Damascus, Saul of Tarsus, who's on the road to Damascus, is, is the shining example in this early part of the story of the church. So again, we've gone through eight pretty amazing chapters in Acts. Uh, we've seen how God has used people like Philip last week in the sermon in Acts 8 to do extraordinary things, just to be there, to be obedient, to be at the right place at the right time where God uses them to communicate the good news. But then other times, God, God just so clearly goes after someone, changes their life, and uses them for extraordinary purposes. And so we've heard little, little tidbits about Saul the last couple of weeks. We've seen things like and he approved of the execution of Stephen. And then the first line today in Acts 9-1 is, but Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. That's really all we know about Saul up to this point, is that He approved of Stephen's execution, and he's breathing murderous threats against God's people. That's all we know. But it's amazing. If you turn the rest of the pages of the New Testament, almost all the words from this point forward are words from Paul teaching others how to follow Jesus. So let's, again, never too far gone. Paul is the example of someone who is never too far gone, who then God used to communicate amazing truths uh, that apply today and have been blessing people for centuries. So today we're going to look at a couple of different uh, passages in this in this chapter nine. Uh, and the first part is this. Like I've already mentioned, number one, the first point that I'm going to get into is a person is never too far gone. A person is never too far gone. And so I, I was when I was growing up. Uh, you know, my high school years, there was a, a TV show um, that was popular at the time. It's called, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, and they still show a lot of reruns of it today, but if you're in your, your 20s, 30s, 40s, this was a show you probably watched because a lot of people were watching it. And the whole premise of the story is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flashback to the early years of this friend group. And it's, it's him explaining to his kids the process of how he came to meet their mother or his wife. Um, But there's one of the guys, his name is Barney, who's kind of the notorious uh, sinner in the group, frankly. He just gets himself into mischief. He's kind of the guy who gets into trouble a lot. And there's a conversation that he has with his father at one point about settling down. Because Barney was not a guy who liked to settle down. He was a guy who liked to go out on the town, have a good time. He never pictured getting married or slowing down or buying a house with a white picket fence. He just wanted to kind of go, go, go. But he he had a vulnerable moment with his dad, and they have this exchange. So Barney says this to his dad. When I think about going for anything more than that, I look at my life and who I am, and I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. I'm broken, is what he says. And then his dad looks back at him, and he says, son, I was far more broken than you'll ever be. And look at me now, settled down and grown up. He says, don't get me wrong, settling down is a challenge. It's the biggest challenge of your life. So Barney asks him, so how did you do it? And his dad says, a magician never reveals his greatest trick. But I'll give you a hint. This is his solution to how to redeem his brokenness. You you have to meet the right girl. You have to meet the right girl and get married and settle down. And he says, who knows, maybe you'll meet her tomorrow. That was his way of saying, "This is how I came from brokenness and came into a new life." And I think a lot of us have gone through that stage in life where we just say, "Oh, if I just met the right person and settled down, uh, then this, then my brokenness or my my feeling of being too far gone would go away." Too far gone can mean a couple of things. Maybe you've used that phrase with somebody. Maybe you've used it of yourself. Uh, A person who's too far gone can mean they're crazy. You know, that person's just too far gone. They're, they're off the loony train. They're crazy. Or a person that's too far gone can just mean they're very different than you. Maybe they voted for someone different. Maybe they have different political stances. So that means they're too far gone. Maybe they've been canceled. You hear about cancel culture today. A person who's too far gone can mean they're dangerous. And I think that's kind of what the Apostle Paul, Saul at this time was like. Is, this guy's a threat. He's, he's murdering our friends. He's too far gone. I, we, could never, we could never see him following Jesus. It'd be kind of like a, a terrorist today. It's like, oh, that person is, I, I can't imagine that person getting better. Or a person too far gone can mean other things. But whatever the case, Saul was certainly gone from the disciples' perspective. He was a guy who was over there. He was gone. He was not someone they were going and trying to effectively evangelize, I don't think. You don't hear stories of them trying to engage him. It just was, this guy's dangerous. He's gone. And we're just trying not to be killed by him. We're trying not to just have him come and be part of our, our little group. And so most people would have seen that. Saul has been described as young and zealous. Like I said, he approved of Stephen's execution. He was ravaging the church, it says, in Acts 8.3, dragging off people and putting them into prison And it says in in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, the next verse, it says that he went as far as to write letters to the high priest requesting to find people who, who were followers of the way so that they could arrest them in Damascus and drag them back to Jerusalem in chains. So I'm sure the people never could have imagined God doing something with a guy like this. One of the early things about this passage that struck me the most was verse 3 when it says, Now, as Saul went on his way, as Saul went on his way, Saul was going about his daily business, his way, and he was pursuing people who followed the way, capital W. This is what the earliest Christians were known as before they were called Christians. So you and I, we call ourselves Christians today. But the way that the followers of Jesus were known at this time, were they were followers of the way. This is what they were known by. Again, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul was trying to find people who followed the way and bring them back. And then Acts 9.3, it says he was on his own way. He was just going about his normal business. And then a bright light struck him down, and he falls on the ground. A bright light just strikes him down. And he's, all of a sudden, he's on his way, going just about his daily business, and then in an instant, he can't see anything. He's on the ground, and he, everything's about to change for this guy's life, in an instant. I don't want you to miss the, the quickness of this, the instantaneous change, how in one split-second moment, A man goes from a murderer to on his knees, on the ground, and he doesn't even know why yet. Suddenly, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and he's on the ground. Three things happen here. A light shines, he falls down, and then a question emerges that he alone can hear. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? an authoritative voice is audible to Saul. Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? The voice knows Saul's past. It knows what he's doing. And it stops him in that exact moment. You see, the voice doesn't just come and say, Saul, repent right away. Or Saul, believe in me. The voice speaks into the experience of that individual, knowing what he was doing, knowing his specific sin, knowing his specific background, Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who is perfect according to the law, as he describes himself later. The voice speaks specifically into that person's circumstance. Sometimes we look at this story and we're like, well, God, why didn't you shine the bright light on my life and just make me fall down? That'd make it a lot easier to look back when I'm struggling and in in doubt and be like, okay, but I remember the bright shining light moment when I went blind and I was led to a guy's house and he helped me see. A lot of times I think we ask for that. Lord, show me the bright shining light moment. But what I want to really emphasize here is the voice that speaks into his specific life experience. And I want you to reflect either now or as you go about your day later today of how God has spoken specifically into your life experience, into your background, into your current struggles, your current brokenness, your current sins, the things that are difficult for you or the things that you're freely living into knowing that you're rebelling and how God individually, uniquely speaks into your life even when you think maybe you've gone too far or you're too far gone, or how could, how could a God ever look my way if he knew really what I was like? This is an individual one-on-one moment between the God of the universe and a murderer. And the same God of the universe has a one-on-one encounter with each of us in our lives as well. May we look for those moments. Saul recognizes the authority of this voice because he responds with, Lord, Lord, Lord can just mean boss or sir or person of authority. He, he recognizes this as an authoritative voice, Anybody, but he doesn't know who it is. He says, who is this? Lord, who are you? Tell, I, I hear you speak into my life. You know something about my life, but I don't know who you are. Tell me who you are. Identify yourself. And of course, it's Jesus. Jesus is the center of the story of the church. Jesus is the center of the story of the Bible. so of course it's Jesus speaking in here, and he says, "Saul, who else would it be? It's Jesus, the one that you're persecuting, the one that you've claimed as a fraud, the one that you've claimed as a heresy, the one that you've claimed is not true, the one, that you, the, one the one that you're trying to purify the church from, actually, it's me, and it's real. I'm real. this is real. The church is on the move through my spirit, and now I want you, Saul. I want you to be part of it. And I will do anything, Saul, to pursue you, because you have a place in this story. Just like Philip, just like Peter, just like all these guys, now I want you, because I want you to go and tell about me to the Gentiles. To those who are far away, to those who are outside of the camp of Israel, I want you to go. This, this kind of feels like a kidnapping in some ways, doesn't it? I mean, if you put all the pieces together, it's a guy, is, a guy can't see. He's being dragged off. He's being told to go to another city where he's going to meet a certain guy. If you're, if you're watching this like in a cinematic version, it's like this is kind of like a kidnapping story where they, like they blindfold the guy and they take him off to a city and they put him before a guy, like a light on his, on his head, and begin to question him. At the first glance, you may be like, is, is Jesus kidnapping Saul here and trying to like force him into following him or else? I mean, you hear stories of this around the world, right, of you know, religious zealots or extremists that kidnap people and say, believe in God or else, and that's, that's not what's happening here, clearly. This is not a kidnapping of, of Jesus, to, of Saul, to convince him to do something. This rather is a gracious encounter of Jesus in, encountering someone and then using another person to be part of the redemption and the transformation of this guy, Saul. So the, again, the first big point was a person is never too far gone. The second big part of this sermon is The church is never too far away. When you see a story like this, whether it's in the Bible or today, when you hear of a dramatic conversion moment or someone whose life has changed in an instant, look for Jesus because he certainly was the one that was initiating. He's a pursuer, he's going after sinners, he's going after broken people, he wants people to be made whole again. But just after you see Jesus, look for the church look for God's people because they're always part of the story. Jesus doesn't just kidnap him and again convert him and then send him back off. He uses a guy named Ananias. Ananias, a guy we haven't heard about yet, a guy you won't hear about again. This is his one shining moment, his one time in the spotlight. Ananias shows up and he's part of the story. Now you may, have, you may be saying, I've heard the name Ananias before and you're right. This is actually the third Ananias that's in the story of the Bible. The first one is in the book of Daniel. It's actually Hananiah, but if it's translated into Greek, it's Ananias. Hananiah was one of the three that was with Daniel, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, his Hebrew name was Hananiah. So you may be saying, oh, that that name sounds familiar. So this guy is probably named after maybe that famous guy in Daniel, this brave soul who was faithful to God and obedient. The second Ananias is a lot sooner. Do you remember Ananias just from a couple of weeks ago? He was a bad example of Ananias. He was the guy that was skimming off the top of the giving to the church. And he was put to death by God because he was uh, lying to the Holy Spirit. And so this this Ananias kind of breaks the tie. Is this guy going to be like one that's obedient and fearful of God and does whatever he says in in obedience and faith? Or is this going to be one that is afraid and has his own agenda in mind. And so here's this new Ananias and he shows up. God speaks specifically to him in verse 10. There's a disciple in Damascus named Ananias and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. That's a good indication that we're on the right track. Verse 11, and then the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight where you could save the way called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Of course he is. He's, he can't see anything, and he's alone, and uh, he's just had an encounter with Jesus. And Saul has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. God uses the church to bring faraway people to himself. This is what he desires. This is what gives you and I purpose today in a city like this, in a world like this. Again, Jesus initiates the pursuing of sinners and broken people who are desperate and either they're looking for a way or they're so far gone that, uh, that there's no way they can be brought back unless uh, Jesus encounters them. But God uses his church to bring people. And how does he use Ananias here? A couple of things. Verse 11, he says, go. And then in verse 15, he says, go. God raises up his church to be people who go. We've talked about this for months now, right? I think, I think my mission's emphasis and heart has been exposed by this point of, of the Great Commission is what the church is all about. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. This is why the church exists. Matthew 28, go, go. Go. And may we never miss the fact that the going continues throughout the, Old, the New Testament. It's not just Matthew 28, but there's places all throughout the New Testament. This would be a great sermon series, actually. What other places in the Bible talk about going specifically? And here's one. Ananias is called to go. Despite whatever previous commitments he may have had, we don't know, maybe he was going to do a grocery run for his wife that day, and he was called to go. Whatever job responsibilities he may have had, maybe he had a big business meeting that day. Like a really critical meeting. And he had to decide, am I going to go to this meeting or am I going to listen to the voice of the Lord that came in this dream? Or what, maybe he was out of fear. Clearly he did. He was a little afraid, it says in verse 13 and 14. Who wouldn't be? He's called to go to Saul of Tarsus. This would be like you and me being called to go visit Osama bin Laden. Lord, I've heard about this guy. He's mean. He does bad things. He he may do bad things to me. I don't don't know, Lord, if this is a good idea. But he still goes. But the Lord said to him, go, because he's a chosen instrument of mine. God uses Ananias not just to go, but he also uses him to initiate something that's greater than what he ever would have thought. Again, murderer Saul. What's the best case scenario here? If, If it's me and I'm Ananias, I'm thinking best case scenario, I don't get hurt. Best case scenario is I walk out of that place alive or or uninjured. That's probably my best case scenario. Second best case scenario is the guy listens to me and maybe he becomes a Christian. That's a great best case scenario. I don't think Ananias or any of us in our wildest expectations would ever think that the murderer Saul would come to be the Apostle Paul who travels the Mediterranean Sea across the Roman Empire and initiates an explosive church-planting movement that would explode within a couple of generations to where there are now believers of Jesus in every country of the world, in large part due to the missionary going of Paul, who we'll learn about from Acts 13 to 28. I don't think Ananias ever would have expected that. I wouldn't have expected that. But God uses him in one person, to do something great. Praise God for Ananias. Praise God. The church is never too far away. God strategically locates his church close to his specific mission so that extraordinary things can happen. I think God has strategically placed this church in this town in this neighborhood so that God can do explosive missionary work that will last generations in Salem, in the Northeast, in the United States, in the world. I think that's why he's kept this church for 217 years. And I think that's why he has each of us here this morning, is to stir in our hearts an obedience and a faith and a joy to be part of what he's doing. Who knows who may just be right around the corner that's waiting to hear the good news, that may change the world for good, because of us simply being obedient. May we be a people like that. That's exciting, I think. And God uses Ananias to teach Paul a valuable lesson. And what's the valuable lesson? I think it's verse 16. Ananias, I will show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I love how he just puts that up right at the beginning. It's like, okay, Saul's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, but he's got to know right from the beginning. And we'll start by taking away his sight just for a few hours, a few days. That if he's going to do this, he knows that he must suffer so that it'll work. So again, for as excited and as joyous as we just were 30 seconds ago, my heart was beating. I'm like, yes, Lord, let's go. Let's be Ananias. We're going to suffer if we're going to be obedient to that. And that's, that's part of the call. It's part of the call. And that's the lesson that God uses Ananias for. He uses Ananias in more beautiful ways than he ever would have thought. Saul not only becomes a Christian, but also verse 17, he becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, it says he was baptized. And then he's off and running. We learn later that Paul spent some significant amount of time in Arabia right after his conversion, kind of going away, learning the scriptures again, having one-on-one quiet time with the Lord um, before he goes off on his missions. Um, but God uses his church in extraordinary ways. The last thing that I'll finish with, and this is a shorter point, um, but as we've been talking through this this morning, the story of Saul and his conversion and how God uh, uses people that are never too far gone and uses the church who's never too far away, the last, the last never too far that I want to mention is the whole purposes of God. God's way, God's purposes are never too far-fetched. That's my last one. I just wanted to continue it. He's never too far-fetched. Again, take a big step back for a second and just try to look at the whole story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. Or look at the world today and all its problems. But look at all the Christians that are around. Look at all the churches that are being planted. Look at nations like Iran which again has a fast growing church planting movement. And you're saying, there's no way God could grow a church in Iran. That's probably what they said 20 years ago. 50 years ago, they said, there's no way God could grow a church in China. There's way too much communism. Right now, we may be saying, there's no way God can do something in Salem or in the United States with the way things are, are going. God's ways are never too far fetched. So the last 10 verses are basically just the disciples trying to reckon with God's ways. They're like, Wait, Saul became a Christian? No, 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 no. He's not going to come be part of our group. He's dangerous. Remember, it's this whole dangerous Saul thing. But Barnabas, our good friend Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he comes up and he shows uh, the people Saul. And he says, listen, he's trustworthy. He is a true believer. He's been baptized. He has the Holy Spirit. I've heard him confess Jesus. I've heard him speak about him in the synagogues. God's way is never too far-fetched. God's ways, though they seem crazy, though they seem unlikely, the minute you begin to think that way means that you probably are on, on track to find what God's actually up to. We say God works in mysterious ways. I think it's deeper than that. I think God works in crazy ways. God works in far-fetching ways. God's way is never too far-fetched. No person is ever too far. No church is ever too far away because his way is never too far-fetched. God can do anything. He could start a church planting revival right now. And he's asking his church to be part of it. Psalm 36, verses 5 and 6. I saw someone uh, mention this in the message format, which is kind of a looser translation, but kind of a, a, a nice one to get a nice change of pace. Psalm 36, verses 5 and 6 in the message. Listen to this. God's love is meteoric. His loyalty, astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdicts, oceanic. Yet in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. God's ways are so big, so vast, yet each of us individually are never lost in the cracks. Not even a mouse because he cares for each one of us, including Saul, including you, including me. God is an extravagant pursuer. My last story, and I'll finish with this, Uh, the famous Robert Murray McShane, uh, you may have heard of, he has a famous Bible reading plan, which if you want a big challenge for a year, you can read through his Bible reading plan. But someone once came up to him after a sermon that he preached, and he said that he had finally obtained peace And so McShane asked him why. He was really interested. He said, what what has helped you come to this place of peace? And the man said, quote, all this time I've been trying to enter by the saint's door, by being a good person. But while you were preaching, I saw my mistake, and I instead have started to enter by the sinner's door. That's the door where the way to Jesus is always wide, always open, through the sinner's door. Jesus is the friend of sinners for people like you and me. Let us pray together. We'll sing one more song. Lord, thank you for being the extravagant pursuer. Thank you for using uh, the story of Saul to teach us that no one is ever too far away, never too far gone. May we never give up on people. And may we also never give up on ourselves of recognizing our, our purpose as a church to be people who are just waiting for you to call us to be going and talking to someone who you've already planted the seed in. So Lord, would you fill us with hope today? Would your grace and your love just shine imminently uh, as we depart from this place today? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.